Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's, That's right. right. We are. We are the yeah. Classic Gaming Brothers. And I, I apologize for my voice as uh, I've had like a cold, so my voice may be a little oh. off. You didn't, you didn't realize? No. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were just tired. To be fair, I feel like I might have a cold because I'm feeling a little off. Yeah, we all have colds because it's winter, or we have COVID because that's the thing. Anyway. Anyway, uh, so welcome to another episode uh, of Classic Gaming Brothers. Welcome to another episode. Uh, we are getting closer and closer to the, the holiday season. Well, it's, it's already the holiday season, but we're getting closer to Christmas. Christmas is next next Sunday, basically, yeah. is, is what I'm trying to say. Two years ago, uh, we released a holiday special. It's a great listen. I recommend it. You can listen to that episode in lieu of us doing anything holiday appropriate, because we're not doing a holiday episode this year. Just like we did last year. We did do a Boxing Day episode. That's what we did last year. We did yes. a Boxing Day episode because it came out on Boxing Day. And the year before that, we did a Christmas special and our Sunday special. This year, we're doing an episode. That's coming out on Christmas. I literally just know what we should talk about. The Die Hard video games. Oh, yeah. Maybe we'll do an episode on Die Hard, which is a Christmas episode. Look forward to a Die Hard video game episode. And if you don't think Die Hard's a Christmas movie. You're wrong. You're, you're wrong. I'm not going to tell you to stop listening. Just pause listening and then come back when you know better. I heard a good explanation where someone said, if Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie, then Home Alone isn't a Christmas movie. Because they're basically the same movie, except one has guns. Yeah. Damn. I can't believe it's Home Alone. Yeah. Macaulay Culkin pops the <laughs> wet bandits. It's a really quick movie. Well, Home Alone <laughs> would become Home Invasion if Marv just had a shotgun. <laughs> Home Alone 4, Castle Law. Anyway, Zach, what have you been recently been playing? Yeah, recently I've been uh, playing a bit of, I don't actually know if I've talked about this game yet, but it's Super Marxist Twins, which came out in March of 2022 in early release by Type 3 Studios. It's on Steam. We actually met the devs, Type 3 Studios, at PAX East this past year, and they were kind enough to give me a copy of the game for free. I don't typically, I, like, I don't ask for free things when I go to conventions. What happens is Seth and I will be like, we're in a podcast, and either they'll give us their card or they'll give us the game. <laughs> so sometimes they give us just a bunch of random stuff but yeah no uh, super marxist twins is developed by type 3 studios and uh i've been playing the the copy that they gave me it's a pretty fun game you play as two brothers who must travel through various worlds and defeat the evil sar borov and his army of capitalist pigs you play as mikhail and ludmil two soviet brothers who throw sickles and hammers as you're probably guessing it's a parody of the mario brothers games and it's it's a very well done parody uh, mikhail and uh, Ludmil are very much like Mario and Luigi, except instead of wearing plumber outfits, they're wearing like Soviet worker uniforms. And they can jump on enemies, but your primary attack is one of them throws sickles and one of them throws hammers. I can't remember which is which. It's it's a pretty fun game. I like it a lot. I like the kind of mixture of of satire with uh, the gameplay that is very familiar because it's it's very much based on Mario. I will say that it does have some unique stuff that's not featured in Mario. Uh, for one, you're able to trade off the characters of Ludmil and uh, Mikal uh, pretty reg like you can just 
swap characters mid-game. If one of them dies, you take control of the other one, and then if you collect enough of a certain item, it'll bring the other one back. So that's kind of a, a nice little way of uh, implementing a live system, is basically you have to always keep the two brothers alive. And you actually need to use both of them to get through certain obstacles. Certain bricks can only be broken with hammers, and certain items can only be broken with sickles, like uh, hay bales and such. So it's a, it's a game that kind of incorporates a lot of the the imagery in in the soviet communism but also uses it to its gameplay and yeah you're fighting uh you're fighting capitalist pigs who are wearing early 1900s russian military uniforms prior to the the communist revolution but yeah it's a it's a fun time if you haven't had a chance to play it it is available on steam right now i think it's like eight bucks it might be on sale um but it's in early access um so they're still like constantly working on it they were very nice they were very friendly we, they may eventually come up on our show yeah if they do we'll probably talk about the game again uh they're a great uh, little dev team and definitely worth checking out if you want to have a good laugh but also enjoy a good game so seth what about you what have you been playing uh recently i've been playing uh fallout new vegas uh we talked a lot about fallout new vegas in fact we've done an entire episode on the lore of some of fallout new vegas not lore of all of fallout new vegas that would be a very long episode but i still started my i'm gonna say evil run it's not necessarily an evil run i haven't decided what the character's going to do but i made a guy and his name is barney i'm pretty sure he looks really silly too i oh i think he's he's got a pompadour with a franz mustache oh thank goodness I love that for him. <laughs> and he is going to become a cam- cannibal when he gets to level four. He's currently a level two. Uh, he does have weird west. Uh, so he's also, if you picture Indiana Jones with a pompadour and a Franz, that's kind of what uh, Barney looks like. So I played him on the airplane when I flew back from Texas and played it on my Steam Deck, which it runs very well on. And so far in the story of Barney, the cannibal, he started out in Good Springs, met some people and was helping around the town a little bit mostly because he didn't he doesn't really know where he's going let's just say he has 10 strength 10 endurance and 10 agility and not much else uh so he just kind of wanders around uh he's very good at killing people just not really good at figuring out problems and uh he eventually the town said what's we're getting harassed by the powder gangers so and i said well can we just kill them and the town said we can but we're gonna need a lot of people to do this like to kill them and barney said no <laughs> i'm not gonna go and spend time recruiting people to kill these powder gangers i'm just gonna go to the powder ganger base and i'm gonna kill them <laughs> so then i went to the powder ganger base barney was gonna start killing them but then he started to talk to them and he felt he had an inspiration barney sometimes has moments of insight he decided he was going to work for the powder gangers to ultimately betray them oh i've done that before not with the powder gangers just in video games <laughs> yes so he's gonna work for the powder gangers he's gonna build up their his their trust with them and then he's going to uh, betray them. I think the best part of the interaction so far that I've had with him is because I have 10 agility, I took 10 agility for Barney so that he could be good at shooting things, so that he's good at hitting people and shooting people, because that's all you need is strength and agility, Um, and then endurance so he can take hits. The side effect of having a 10 agility is he's also very sneaky. <laughs> so I tend to sneak around and can crit people when I come out of stealth. The other side effect of having a high sneak is he's also very good at robbing people. <laughs> so when I got to the 
the powder gangers, he's not really good at persuading people to do things. So I showed up and I'm like, I want to go in. And the guy said, you can go in if you pay me 100 caps. And I couldn't persuade him otherwise, since my speech was very poor. So I said, I'm not paying you 100 caps. And then I walked away. And then I got really small into the door frame. And then I pickpocket the key off of the guy. And then I went through the door. And then everyone was like, oh, hey, that guy, he called up and said that he was letting somebody in. I was like, oh, he did? (laughs) Because... I just took the key and walked in. But so that was funny. And then the guy who I talked to like interacts with me normally, like if I paid him, which is funny because I just essentially did not pay him because Barney's not cheap. He's just he's just dumb. <laughs> hey, you know what? Sounds like Barney. I did name him after the Half-Life security guard. However, um, Zach brought up before we started recording that because he's a cannibal, he could also be named after the dinosaur. Maybe he's both. Yeah. I hope that I can find a dinosaur outfit in Fallout New Isn't Vegas. Isn't there the place that you go that has all the dinosaur stuff? Is that in New Vegas? I don't yeah, know. I think it is. There's a it's a motel and it has a massive dinosaur. Oh, there might statue? be maybe that maybe I'll make that my base of operations. Yeah, you should. And then when people stay at my motel, I'll eat them when they're sleeping. <laughs> I think I'm gonna try and eat everybody in the in the wasteland i think that's my that's gonna be my goal there's 10 people that if you eat you get an achievement for eating them all including house that's good that sounds like you're having a good time yeah and uh perhaps i will update the podcast as we proceed forward with barney in the new year well for today's episode we're going to not be talking about fallout or super marxist bros we're going to be talking about something that's kind of in theme with the season because some would say not everyone but some would say it is the reason for the season and that is the christian video game company wisdom tree and their uh, predecessor color dreams which is who they started off as we have talked about before um, with topics like tension and the Nintendo Entertainment System had a wide variety of unlicensed and unauthorized games for the system. Uh, these were, as we've alluded to, not necessarily bootlegs, as the games didn't infringe on any established copyrights. But they often used techniques to get past the lockout chip that existed within the NES. One company did just that, and that company got their start in 1988. And that company was Color Dreams. Color Dreams was founded by Daniel Lawton, who was a computer programmer that had issues with Nintendo's licensing policy. Um, So Mr. Lawton wanted to make video games for the NES and hated the idea that Nintendo had this like arbitrary five games per year restriction on uh, third party companies. And you had to get through a lot of rigmarole to even get approved as a third party company. So it was very hard to become a licensed NES game developer. Um, So... He created Color Dreams, and he worked around it. However, unlike Tengen, Color Dreams cartridges used a workaround to get through the lockout chip that didn't violate any patent laws. So, they weren't breaking any any laws or infringing on anything of Nintendo's, so Nintendo really had no place to sue them. Now, just to remind our listeners, Tengen did break some patent laws. Tengen, to get through the lockout chip, reached out to the patent offices and requested a copy of the patent chip, and the source code and lied to the U.S. Patent Office to get this information and use that to create their cartridges. Color Dreams did something a little differently. My understanding is the way Color Dreams cartridges work is they send a very small volt, uh, like a electrical voltage, to the lockout chip in your system, temporarily frying it, causing the game to be... Um, pass through without any issue the fact that color dreams wasn't breaking any laws though uh meant that nintendo really had nothing to do to stop them but that didn't stop them from being really upset 
that they were selling their cartridges. In order to combat Color Dreams and other licensed game developers, Nintendo would actually threaten stores by telling them that if they continue to sell unlicensed cartridges, then Nintendo would cease selling their games at those retailers. This threat, while unknown how much teeth it had to it, was very serious for these stores. Many stores just simply couldn't afford to not sell Nintendo products, especially if you're an electronic store or an early video game store, Nintendo was your bread and butter. So you would risk losing an entire revenue stream. And this meant that Color Dreams cartridges often wouldn't just be sitting on the shelf of your local video game store when you went to go find some games. You'd see all the Nintendo products, maybe you'll see a Tengen title or two, but you wouldn't see any Color Dreams or any of the other unlicensed stuff. This didn't stop them though from still being sold. And sometimes the games would be advertised in magazines or through mail order services. They were also sometimes advertised on TV with commercials that offered a toll-free number for interested parties to call and receive a cartridge for a nominal fee. I think I saw back then it was like $45 for a cartridge, which I think was fairly competitive with what Nintendo was selling their games for. Man, the era of like calling or mailing to get something sight unseen. Uh, another issue that Color Dreams faced was that Nintendo would start updating their systems to prevent the various workarounds for the lockout chip to stop working because Nintendo wasn't dumb. They would realize that people were trying to circumvent their technology and they would implement new updates to their overall system to prevent this workaround. However, it, it was also like a, a reminder that this was also in a world where there was no like download software to the Nintendo. Yeah. And and Nintendo's not going to come to your house to be like use this one instead. Um <laughs> They would just make slow modifications to their manufacturing run. And they generally had to capture these type of changes pretty early on. But uh, manufacturers kind of always constantly tweaking the product either to save uh, time or money. Yeah, but it might be the difference of like you buy an NES one year and then your friend buys it two years later and some of your games, the Color Dreams games, don't work on his Yes, yeah, sort of 100%, 100%. The cartridges themselves would sometimes carry instructions to provide the user with some ways to potentially get it to work properly, such as pressing the reset switch after the game is inserted and the system is powered on. It's kind of like filling up your car at the gas station with the engine running. Don't do it. Uh, other customers would have to call Color Dreams, who would then ask for the serial number of the NES unit and then send the customer an updated version of the cartridge to work on that particular model of NES. Um, beyond this, Color Dreams games were just not great. They're just not good games. To be perfectly frank, how, how many people do you think actually played this game and called Color... Well, they couldn't play the game, right? So they called Color Dreams to get the cartridge, then got the cartridge, and then was like, this is garbage. I mean, the thing is, that would be really unfortunate. The thing is, these games were arguably dirt cheap. So that's probably that's why true. more people bought them. But at the same time, yeah, imagine getting this game from for like a Christmas gift, plugging it into your NES, not working, calling the company, then being like, oh, we'll ship you a new one. Getting the new one in the mail, plugging it in, and just being an awful game. <laughs> yeah, it's two months of your life set aside to play a horrible game. Not even a mediocre game, a bad game. The quality of the games were so very often poor, and some were early Sachin and Joy Van titles, like Master Chu and the Drunken Who, or Metal Fighter. Uh, we've talked about at least Master Chu and the Drunken Who in a past episode in one of my retro rewinds because I had to have the uh, 
pleasure of playing that for a um, a retro rewind, and it's still bad. They also released some titles that they were created in in house, uh, such as Raid 2020, which was a cyberpunk action game where you had to kill drug dealers and defeat their boss. There was also Operation Secret Storm, uh, an action game where you must play as Secret Agent George, no last name, whose sole task was to defeat Saddam Hussein. And there was also Menace Beach, where you play as a kid named Scooter who has to save his girlfriend, who is shown to be slowly losing her clothes with each passing level. And if you played Operation Secret Storm Menace Beach, you would play as George <laughs> trying to rescue his girlfriend that Saddam Hussein has captured. Maybe Saddam Hussein is losing his clothes. Part of the reason that games were often fairly low quality was that the programmers were often reliant on reverse engineering techniques to actually develop the games, which often meant that they were forced to work within strict limitations and couldn't access the same tools that a licensed programmer may be provided. In saying it the same thing in a different way, these people were smart, they just didn't have the right tools. Yeah, they wouldn't be provided like dev tools or dev kits or anything like that because Nintendo wouldn't give them anything. So they had to literally reverse engineer actual games, look at the code and be look at the code and be like, oh, that's how you make a game. And then just like finagle it from there. <laughs> now, in 1990, Color Dreams decided that they were going to make some changes. Reportedly, some officials at the company saw that there were a whole there was a hole in the market of video games and they believed they were the company that could easily fill it. And that hole that they identified, this is from the company that gave us Menace Beach and Operation Secret Storm. Let's remind you, Menace Beach was where your girlfriend was losing clothing. That hole that they identified was religious games. That's right. You see, in America, Nintendo often edited or outright refused to release games that had any religious imagery. Uh, for example, an early Famicom game, Devil World, uh, was not released outside of Japan. Another game, Noah's Ark, uh, which was made by Capcom, was a European exclusive. Color Dreams saw this as an opportunity to tackle the biblical video game market. And one idea that they had was to reach out to Christian bookstores, as Christian bookstores are not video game stores and are not electronic stores. So right. they wouldn't have a relationship with Nintendo. So Nintendo could feasibly send a letter to a Christian bookstore saying, we're not going to sell our games at your store. And that Christian bookstore might reply with, who are you? Uh, Nintendo would have no grounds in threatening them and they weren't planning to do it so color dreams established a subsidiary wisdom tree around 1991 and they would begin work on a new line of biblical themed games their first game under this new branding was bible adventures for the nes and sega genesis this game is split into three parts noah's ark unrelated to the capcom game of the same name baby moses and david and goliath how does Noah's Ark play from Capcom? Oh, Noah's Ark from Capcom is like a Mega Man game, but you play as Noah. <laughs> and Noah's Ark from Wisdom Tree is Wolfenstein. No, no, no. Well, yes, later. This Noah's Ark is not Wolfenstein. This Noah's Ark is like Super Mario Brothers, except you pick up animals. Each game played a side-scrollers, very similar to Super Mario Brothers, uh, kind of like Super Mario Brothers 2, and you were tasked with doing various missions. In Noah's Ark, your task was to round up the animals and bring them to the Ark. To round them up, you would literally walk over to the animal and pick them up and carry them, and you could stack the animals. How high? Very high. 
like like 10 animals high and these are like horses and lions and baby moses you played as miriam moses's sister and you must save moses from the egyptians who who are planning to kill all the male hebrew children and finally in david and goliath you play as david and you must herd sheep interestingly enough in a very similar way to how you herd animals in noah's ark by picking them up and stacking them and at the end of the game you fight goliath like bowser yeah like bowser except you hit him with a slingshot i wish mario hit bowser with a slingshot that'd be great and how many goliaths are there i think there's only one goliath be great if like those progressively larger goliaths just gets bigger and bigger then he's a mech it's mech goliath (laughs) goliath online (laughs) now uh following bible adventures another game was released by wisdom tree actually the exact same year called exodus and that was released also on the nes and the sega genesis but it would also see an ms dos release and a game boy release so they were tapping into a larger and larger market exodus and a later game called joshua and the battle of jericho would actually use the exact same game engine that was previously used for a color dreams game called crystal mind And this wouldn't be the only time that Wisdom Tree would reuse game engines from their time as Color Dreams. Uh, Another game that was a later release from Wisdom Tree was Sunday Funday, which was just an entire reskin of their previous game, Menace Beach, which we can remember you play a scooter and your girlfriend was having her clothes being taken away. This time, instead of playing a scooter, you just play as a young boy planning to attend Sunday school. And instead of your girlfriend being slowly stripped of clothing, that is now a, those scenes are now a fully clothed Sunday school teacher who looks disappointed that you're late. Uh, The cartridge also contains an arcade puzzle game called Fishfall, where you must catch falling fish novel (laughs) and it also contained an 8-bit sing-along for the song the ride by christian pop band for him for being a number and the h being capital because you know the one thing i like to do on my nes with my christian video games is karaoke and before sunday funday wisdom tree also released spiritual warfare this was a game that looks vaguely like the legend of zelda but has biblical references. The game was released on the Genesis, NES, MS-DOS, and Game Boy. It also usually referred to as one of the better games in their lineup, in a sense that it actually is a fairly playable adventure game. One of the most infamous games that Wisdom Tree would be known for is Super 3D Noah's Ark. It was released in 1995 for the SNES and the MS-DOS. Super 3D Noah's Ark is a game where you play as Noah, but you must make sure animals get to sleep as they broke out of their cages and are fairly restless. However, some of the things to note, it's a first-person shooter game. It was, in fact, just built in the Wolfenstein engine, which is why it feels like Wolfenstein, and it has the oddest-looking SNES cartridge ever. It's Isn't it powder blue? No, it's black. It kind of looks like a Game Genie cartridge. Um, it has a secondary cartridge slot. What goes in that other cartridge slot? A licensed Super Nintendo game in your collection. Any licensed Super Nintendo game in your collection. Then the Super Nintendo sees that you have a licensed game plugged in and it bypasses the lockout chip. Oh, so you have to play Super Noah's Ark 3D. You had to have another game. Yes, you had to have a licensed 
Super Nintendo game to bypass the lockout chip because they hadn't perfected uh, a way to bypass the Super Nintendo's lockout. Super Noah's Ark is one of the, it's credited as the one of the only unlicensed games that was um, sold for the Super Nintendo. I say that's a misnomer because there are some bootleg titles that were sold for the Super Nintendo, but bootleg companies would often just rip out lockout chips and put them on their boards. So it's not like those were bypassing them. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I wished that in my heart of hearts, I wish that it was like the uh, Sonic and Knuckles cartridge, where instead of it just being allowed you to play, you could unlock extra content in another wizard. God. That would be so good. So you could get like, oh man, so you can get like the Moses adventure game, whatever that was called, Baby Moses. You could put Baby Moses into Noah's Ark and then you can play as Noah in Egyptian times with your Ark and you can go rescue Baby Moses with your Ark. Oh, that'd be great. Or something like that. I don't know. Uh, Super 3D Noah's Ark also had a pretty interesting history to itself it was conceived as a licensed game uh, as a licensed game based on the hellraiser movie wisdom tree even acquired the rights to hellraiser for fifty thousand dollars along with the license for the wolfenstein 3d engine which is how they were able to put the super noah game into it uh from id software and then the development for the game actually began on the NES with a plan to ship the game with a special cartridge containing a coprocessor that would help run it on the hardware since the NES was a older system at the time and it was getting older. They were going to put a coprocessor on there so it could play this really cool game based on Hellraiser in the Wolfenstein 3D engine on your NES. Crazy. That was abandoned and they moved to the PC because saying that all at once, they realized it was a stupid idea. (laughs) (laughs) But by the time that they moved it to PC... Doom had already been released, and the people at Wisdom Tree didn't feel like they would be able to match up to the success of Doom, because Hellraiser and Doom being released on the PC would probably look a lot like each other. (laughs) So they would go on to take the engine and develop a family-friendly FPS game and actually let their Hellraiser license expire in the process. So they took $50,000 and they promptly lit it on fire, and then they made some garbage on the Wolfenstein 3D (laughs) engine. And they developed the game on the SNES. One often repeated rumor of Super 3D Noah's Ark was that its software only licensed the engine to retaliate against Nintendo for the restrictions that were placed on the SNES version of Wolfenstein 3D. Specifically, the SNES version of Wolfenstein 3D lacks blood and lacks Nazis. This rumor is completely false. Wisdom Tree legally acquired the license. And as history tells, they acquired it long before they were even planning to turn this into a... uh, Christian game. And uh, they acquired the license easily from id because at the time, id Software didn't really think the Wolfenstein engine uh, had anywhere to go. They were like, we're, we're secretly working on Doom. Uh, Doom is going to be a much more powerful game. It's going to have a much better engine. So yeah, let's just give people the engine when they when they give some money for it. Id Software staff would also state on a few occasions that they didn't really have any issue with the changes Nintendo made to their game. Uh, because when your game comes out on a Nintendo console, that's a pretty big deal. So they probably didn't really care that much (laughs) that their game had to make some concessions to it. Now, if you thought Super 3D Noah's Ark is a weird game, Wisdom Tree is yet to surprise you with some more oddities. In 1996, they developed another game, this time just for the Game Boy, called NIV Bible and 20 Lost Levels of Joshua. As the name implies, it is the entire new international version of the Bible in 20 
cut levels from their game Joshua. So, if you really wanted to impress your friends, be sure to show them your copy of the new international version of the Holy Bible on your Game Boy. They also released a version of the King James Bible on the Game Boy, uh, if that's more of your cup of tea, if you're more of a, a King James purist in terms of your uh, translations of the gospel. <laughs> the last two games that were officially released by Wisdom Tree were a game called Heaven Bound in 2003 for the PC and Jesus in Space in 2007, also for the PC. I have no idea what Jesus in Space is about, but God, do I wish it was a first-person shooter. <laughs> I just want Jesus in Dead Space. So during their time as Wisdom Tree, they had uh, a fine time working with the Christian bookstores since uh, they essentially hid from Nintendo in them because Nintendo wasn't going to threaten Christian bookstores. So Wisdom Tree got away with it. Uh, According to an interview with the owner of the Wisdom Tree license, Brenda Huff, Color Dreams left the game industry after her husband purchased the Wisdom Tree company from them. And at that time, she reports they moved on to work with digital cameras. Is Wisdom Tree still sticking around? They still technically exist. They do not do anything anymore. So um, with the fact that a majority of Wisdom Tree's records and even Color James's prior records are with one person, it's really hard to determine how the sales were for the company. Uh, nothing was really publicly published from that time period that I could find. And they were privately owned, so they didn't necessarily need to like disclose that information. Their company is apparently still around in some form, but their, their website was down the last time I checked. I didn't spend too long looking for them, but if they're out there, let us know. Let us know, Wisdom Tree, if you hear this episode. Their games have been licensed out to other companies for release. Most recently, Pico Interactive released a collection of Wisdom Tree titles on Steam, and they released an updated version of Super 3D Noah's Ark running on the EC Wolf Sourceport engine. That's the version that I currently have, which is uh, available through Steam, but I do also have an uh, original DOS version of uh, Super 3D Noah's Ark on disc. Pico Interactive have also taken to reprinting various Wisdom Tree cartridges. Uh, they put out a multi-cart containing the NES games that were released, and they also put out a multi-cart featuring the Sega Genesis games that were released. And they also issued a reprint of Super 3D Noah's Ark, but in a standard gray cartridge, and it does not need to be piggybacked uh, with any licensed games to run on a, on a Super Nintendo, as nowadays there are easy ways to get around the lockout chip. So if you want a copy of Super 3D Noah's Ark, you can get it. It's like 50 bucks. That comes in the box with the manual. And it runs perfectly fine on your Super Nintendo, if that's if that's what your cup of tea is. That's Wisdom Tree. A great game to really start the big holiday season here with Wisdom Tree and what we have planned next. Now, we're going to move into our Retro Rewind segment. Uh, so starting off, I'm going to start us off. Seth had me play Dungeon Master, which is a dungeon crawler uh, from 1987. It was available on the Apple, it was available on the Atari ST, and it was also available on MS-DOS and uh, Amiga. Seth specifically asked I play the Atari ST version of the game, which had no music and kind of weird sound. It also took a very long time to load in my emulator, <laughs> so I don't know if everything was working all right, but uh, it's an okay game. It, it uses pseudo 3D graphics, and it's one of the earliest games in the dungeon crawler genre. It's not the first game in the dungeon crawler genre, but future games like Eye of the Beholder would be considered like clones of Dungeon Master. The game is a bit more action-centric than other turn-based RPG games from that era, so it's it's a full action game. It also has a, it's, it's a pretty fast-paced game in terms of the action that comes up, but I often find all dungeon crawlers 
to be a little monotonous to me. <laughs> the artwork is always very nice. Uh, and in this game, it's it's gorgeous, you know, gorgeous like 8-bit artwork. But for a while in these games, you're walking down gray halls that look 100% identical to the next gray hall. And it's not only easy for me to get lost if I'm not really paying attention, but also it's just you kind of want something to make your eyes want to pay attention to what's going on. So if you're not super familiar with these type of games, I can see it causing some confusion. It's not bad. I definitely don't think it's a bad game. I do think it's very dated. And I think that there are later games in the dungeon crawler genre that do it a little better better. Uh, Legend of Grimrock is a more modern example of a dungeon crawler that uh, I think does a good job at balancing the classic elements of a dungeon crawler with a more modern aesthetic that keeps it interesting. And I do think some of the later games in the dungeon crawler genre, even from that time period, are also a little better, uh, such as the games uh, in the Ravenloft series, which were would be considered kind of dungeon crawlers. Uh, but like Stone Prophet, for example, I think looks aesthetically better than walking down gray hallways and turning corners, even if all you see in Stone Prophet is a desert. Next week, Seth, I want you to play Capcom's Noah's Ark for the original Nintendo. Uh, it's actually supposed to be a pretty fun game, so I hope you enjoy it. Zach had me play Advanced Dungeons & Dragons Pool of Radiance, which was released on a number of consoles, but also on the NES, which is what he had me play. Uh, it was released on the NES back in 1992. Uh, it was originally released on the DOS back in 1988. Eight. So they had four years to perfect it when they brought it to the NES. Uh, it is actually a pretty faithful rendition of the game. And because the NES only has two buttons, well, a D-pad, two buttons, and a start and select, the game actually makes it actually like easier to play um, than the PC version because the PC version has you pushing all sorts of buttons on the PC keyboard that don't make sense. And the game actually looks like it was, I would say, it's like they poorly remastered Pool of Radiance. Definitely looks better better but it's not like a like a true remastered but like the you don't look like paper dolls fighting in combat they're actually like 3d sprites well they're like 3d looking sprites the only issue that i really had with the nes version of pool of radiance is the music there is a couple of tracks that are fun but they just repeat over and over and over and over again but it, it would be like if you listen to our intro, which is a great sound, but instead of just listening to it in the time that we allot for the intro music, you listen to it over and over and over again until it was no longer a great sound. And that's what the music of Pool of Radiance reminds me of. Anyway, I think for what it is, it holds up. Uh, I would recommend possibly playing some other music and muting the game itself. However, I think the PC version with mods that they have out there for quality of life stuff, because there's a lot of like gold box modding, is a better experience than the NES version, which is, a, I feel like, a better experience than the original PC version. <laughs> so you just have to evolve through the gold boxes. Also, in regards to your enjoyment, it's definitely a gold box game. So if you enjoy gold box D&D games, then yeah, you'll probably enjoy it. It's a great romp through Pool of Radiance and a, a faithful report. Uh, if you don't like gold box games, you could probably just avoid this one. So Zach, for our next time that we meet, I want you to tell me about Duke Nukem Nuclear Winter.
Yes, great. I think I actually have that because I have, I think it comes with Duke Nukem Atomic Edition. One of the versions that I own has it, so. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. That will be our episode for today. If you want to reach out to us and let us know your thoughts on Wisdom Tree or what our future topics should be like, you can email classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com or you can visit our website and use the contact form on the website. You can also reach out to us via Facebook, Classic Gaming Brothers, Twitch, Classic Gaming Brothers, Instagram, Classic Gaming Brothers, or Twitter, CG Brothers Pod. Uh, We'll be sure to reach out to you if you get in touch with us and uh as always you can find you can find us on all the various podcasting applications out there uh we are on podbean we're on stitcher we are on iHeartRadio. we're on everything so just listen to us and enjoy and with that that's it seth do you want to contribute to this conversation once more don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been seth and i have been zach and we've been the classic gaming brothers that's right. right.